Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What up, Flyer fans? Welcome back. It is October 21st, and it is Rewind Wednesday. Uh, For this week's Rewind, I'm going back a year to September 6, 2019, when I had the chance to sit down with Keith Wallace-Kowski to talk about his playing days from 2000 to 2004. This interview is about 80 minutes long-ish, one of the longer ones that we've done, uh, but it does kind of cover all the things that happened in those 40 years of Dayton basketball. Lots of highs, not so many lows, a lot of winning, and Keith was kind enough to tell us the whole story, ending the podcast with a little bit of Whitney Houston. Enjoy the show. Dayton Flyer legend, great, whatever you want to call him, from 2000 to 2004, he donned the red and blue. The Big W, Keith Wallace-Kowski, what's up, man? How are you tonight? I'm I'm good. It's good to uh, good to be on here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we uh, we pulled you off the flyer feedback show. Uh, your your contract didn't have any exclusivity rights in it, so we said, you know, let's come to the dark side and and tell us some stories from the old days. So here we are. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're uh, violating any non competes or anything like that that I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And away we go. And that's how simple it is to get into the podcasting business. All you need is a a set of headphones and a microphone, and you can jump on with us. If you have a Dayton basketball story, that's really all we ask. I mean, we're not really a podcast that has very high standards for the content that you bring to the show. So as long as you can talk some Dayton hoops, you're cool with us. I think you can do that. There you go. You're qualified. I, yeah, I would. I would fit that mold. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll kick off the show tonight. Um, you know, Keith, uh, you played overseas for how many years before coming back to old uh, old Dayton, Ohio? Nine years. So I, I'd love to start there because I don't know anything about playing overseas, and I've heard that a lot of times the contract situation and how you find yourself over there is very like convoluted. So after you graduate from Dayton, and, and I, I told you that we would move chronologically, but I'm going to skip to this part <laughs> so we can get to the Dayton part. We always do like a little <laughs> – is that great? Like, we always do this like – So we're going to violate that first yeah. question. We're going to violate, yeah. violate the chronological <laughs> order. It's, it's like, we we always, it's like memento. You're going to have to – yeah, we're going to have to have some <laughs> black and white and some in color. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so for the listeners, we always do like a prep call before we, you know, a couple of minutes where we outline the show and how we're going to do it. And I usually have an outline for how I want things to go. And then nine times out of 10, I just completely forsake that agenda immediately. So let's, let's just do that. Um, when you graduate from UD, kind of like, what is the process for going overseas? You know, I know you guys have to pick up an agent, but then what happens after that? Yeah. So I had, I had a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting go about it and uh you know i know i know there's mixed reviews about brian gregory and his tenure at at ud but um he had introduced me to a guy uh about halfway through our season that he knew from michigan state name was keith glass and uh you know introduced me to him said hey keith i want you to talk to this guy uh he's an agent possibly uh play overseas after this year you'll like him he's a straight shooter specializes in tall slow white guys so he's perfect for you and uh and so i met him and you know we kind of hit it off and he's like good all right well i'm not going to do this thing where i you know i bother you the rest of the season i recruit you or anything we'll talk once the season's done play hard have a good time when you're doing it enjoy it whatever we'll catch up later so uh go through the season it ends um Pretty sure BG probably called in a few favors with people that he knew. I think he was pretty well connected. So I uh, played in a couple uh, like all-star games and then ended up at some uh, at a pre-draft camp in Portsmouth, Virginia, and really got to know Keith Glass, who ended up being my agent there. Um, you know, and it wasn't like a sit down, let's have a meeting. And he put on a presentation. He literally was just like, uh, you want to go over and watch some of these other games that are going on? Sure. Okay. Then, you know, it was really, really simple. Um, did my due diligence, interview, interviewed a few other guys too that just didn't make sense. So ultimately went with him and then uh, got into a few summer leagues and you know, uh, my first gig kind of stemmed from being out in Utah. I was with the jazz and Jerry Sloan comes into the, into the locker room before one of the games and says, all right, here we go. I don't know. Is the like maybe our third or fourth game, something like that. And he points at, uh, who was it? Raul Lopez, Mo Williams, and Curtis Borchart and said, all right, you three guys, you're not playing tonight. And those were guys who were on their team, but like second, third year type of players points at those three says, all right, you guys aren't playing tonight. Let's see how the rest of you respond. Uh, you know, this is a pretty typical situation for the NBA guys either need rest or they got a, a, you know, they're banged up a little bit, whatever. So see how everybody else responds. Um, and I went out that night and had like 18 and 14, uh, hit a three, just had a really, really good game. And there were scouts in the stands there and had called Keith, the agent after that was really pumped up. And I, it was within like a week or two from that game that it was like, words getting back. Okay. And I had a contract signed. So it was, uh, and that was, that was year one. And then pretty much every year over there is like a contract year. So, uh, you either play well and earn yourself a promotion or you, play like garbage and it's your agent's job to make everybody know that it was a coach's fault (laughs) (laughs) so every when you go over to europe so every contract that you sign is yearly or can you get on a two-year deal i know brian roberts kind of had a two-year deal but yeah maybe it's changed you can yeah you can get 
two-year deals, a couple of three-year deals. It's really not that frequent that it happens with Americans. Most of the time they're on kind of year to year, um, unless they get a guy that, you know, the club really likes and they like, you know, not just the way they play, but their personality and the fact that they don't cause big problems or anything while they're over there. Um, you know, I've known a few people that have done it, but the vast majority of guys are just signing things year to year. And that's kind of the way the market dictates it. The clubs over there dictate it. And, you know, it works out for the, the players uh, well, too. Have you felt that that dynamic now has changed a little bit between the, the guys that are coming out of school now and like when you came out of school? I mean, obviously, it's changed a little bit in 15 years. But I mean, do you know kind of how the intricacies have have moved from then to now? Uh, my brother's still over there playing. He just, uh, left uh, last week, I think maybe the week before, um, for his like 15th year. And it seems to be pretty much the same. I mean, you're still dealing with guys that are, yeah, year to year. And where can I get a, where can I get a gig? And you know, it, it all kind of hinges around when you go through the summer, it's like they have the draft and they're working guys out. And then you have the summer leagues come along and then the bigger teams are signing guys that they want. And then they're, you know, everything else is, is trickling down from league to league or where guys want to go. And, you know, a lot of times when you're over there, you, you play every team in the league twice. So, you know, you're kind of interviewing for a job every time you play them. That's kind of what happened with me. My second gig, you know, first year I was over there, played well. Well, there was a team we were in the second division in Spain. There was a team that um, really wanted to move up and I played really well against them both times that we played against them. And I don't even think they were even out of the playoffs yet before I had signed a contract with them for the next season. Cause they were just, you know, yeah, they knew what I could do. They'd seen it firsthand and let's, you know, let's wrap it up while we can. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you, you kind of answered that question, Keith, I was going to say, you know, you started out in Spain and, and they have different uh, people might not know in, in Europe, they have different levels, kind of like soccer, really uh, different levels yeah. there. And uh, when you went out there, you're, you're still young. You, are you playing with people that are pretty much Europeans? Were you playing with a bunch? I'm sure you were playing with some guys that you knew from like college, but I'm sure you were also playing with some, you know, 35 year olds there, chill, still trying to hang on and, and make a paycheck. Yeah, that's true. It's exactly it. You get a good mix of guys. You got some veterans. You got some young guys. You got some, uh, you know, guys that would essentially be high school players, but they don't they don't have like a high school college basketball system over there. They're just kind of professional clubs. So these kids would go to school during the day, but then they would come and they would work out with us. Um, and then they would play for some of the, you know, the younger teams, the cadet teams, that type of stuff. And, and they would have their own leagues too, but you get, you get guys from all walks of life and uh, yeah, at all levels. And I, one of the, my, the first year that I was there, I don't know if you guys will remember the name or not uh, big Spanish guy that played for George Washington, Anchon Aturbe. Oh um, yeah, and I became really, really good friends with him. He was a really good dude. You know, showed me around Spain. was a, was a really big help with uh, kind of the 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 culture change and the culture transition and fitting in. And uh, yeah, it was it was good to have that. Good to have them. But yeah, people people that with all different types of motivations and and where they were in in their lives and their careers. So trying to find the right balance and what's going to be successful that with that was difficult. But 
good time ultimately. Donda El Donda El Baño, you know, stuff like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really simple. That's yeah. I guess she'd probably go back and apologize to Senora Keller at Alta for screwing <laughs> off for two years of her class because that's literally the definition of karma right there. <laughs> And I, I always like to, to dig into this topic because it's becoming more relevant in the A-10 conversation. And, and I'm sure that you've seen this now over the years, that because the A-10 is kind of this secondary league underneath the Power Six, most of the guys when they graduate who have been starters for four years are heading overseas now because you look at the last five years of the A-10, there's probably like five to 10 guys to crack the NBA. And then the rest of them, you know, you kind of just have to figure out where your opportunities are from there. So it's always interesting to hear how that, that path kind of happens. But the path I'm sure that most of the listeners uh, want to hear is the four years in Dayton, Ohio. And of course, you found yourself back uh, on the Flyer Feedback Show with uh, the guys that you play with, like Nate Green and Brooks, of course. When you're coming out of Alter and uh, yeah. not recruited, Alter High School, we have two Alter <laughs> High School guys on the cast. When did you first know, like, hey, I can I can play some basketball. I'm, I think I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, it took a while. Um, you know, and that's that's interesting now too with having kids and and working with kids. I didn't play AAU basketball till after my freshman year at Alter, and that was when a kid from CJ called and said, "Hey, we're going to go around and play a few tournaments. My dad's going to coach us. Do you want to play with us?" I'm like, sure, why not? That seems like that sounds sounds like fun. And so we went and played some tournaments around there and had a good time. Whatever. And then it wasn't until I started getting some stuff, you know, letters in the mail and whatever, and talking with Petro, our coach, about it. And uh, it was after my sophomore year when, you know, I was on an AAU team and started traveling around, playing tournaments, playing games all over. And I think my parents probably knew it uh, before I did because it was kind of like, yeah, you can you can go to college and play basketball there, and they pay for your tuition. I was like, that sounds pretty cool. I'll I'll do that then. And um, you know, mostly it was like mostly MAC schools that were recruiting me. Uh, that level, I think, pretty much the entire MAC was was on me because that's you know the region that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some other ones, and obviously UD was was one that was big too. So uh, you know, ultimately that was the decision I knew, and I redshirted with with Dayton, and I knew when I signed with them that I was going to redshirt because. A, there was no way I was going to play over the the six big guys that they had that were seniors, plus Nate and Yante, and and B, physically, you know, my body needed it anyway. So obviously, uh, obviously, it worked out for the better for all of us. And Keith and I actually went to grade school together too. So I remember, right, I remember thinking, you know, I was a grade younger than Keith, and Adam was a grade younger than me, and I remember thinking both of them oh my gosh, they're going to go to Alter and they're going to start freshman year. They're going to be un- unbelievable. I think a lot of what Keith was just to, to show the people the work ethic, because I don't know about you, but I remember thinking, oh, you know, how is how is Keith not on varsity his freshman year? But then when you look how good Alter's program is and the history that they have, it's got to be pretty humbling when you think, okay, I need to maybe check my ego at the door and work my ass off and earn that spot because it wasn't, I mean, you played your sophomore year, but then it was really junior senior year that you took off there. Yeah. And, and, you know, my freshman year there, so I 
I was on the JV team as a freshman and I practiced with the varsity as well. So, you know, daily, daily schedule for me during basketball season was, you know, you go to school varsity practices right after school. Um, so I go through everything with them and then try to wolf down like a peanut butter sandwich, um, while JV was warming up. And then I would go through their entire practice too. So I, you know, I had a good like three and a half, four hours of practice a day where, you know, I go from being the low man on the totem pole and having everybody beat me up, you know, juniors and seniors just, just, uh, beat me up. And then I went from that to the next couple hours of, okay, we're running plays for Keith and let's get him the ball. And here's how we're going to play. And like, you're in the mix and we need you to perform too. So, you know, good developmentally, but at the same time, like, you know, there's no, there's no easy way around it. And then, then, you know, after that would have to go home and eat dinner and do homework and catch up on sleep and everything else like that. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely work and, and you're right. Sophomore year, I played, I, you know, pretty much I didn't start. I'd come in halfway through the first quarter and I really didn't come out after that. Um, and then same thing junior year and then senior year uh, was when I finally was able to start because, I mean, like you said, we had pretty good teams, pretty big teams, and uh, it wasn't like you were just handed playing time. And and one more of the altar, uh, and then we'll move on to UD. Uh, first of all, I think I'd like to think that I, I boosted your confidence because I tried out for the team, and you swatted a ball so hard that I tried to lay up. It, it, I think it's still stuck in the wall at altar. You it, and, and I'd like to think that I was close to making the team, and that no, they they saw that they're like, no, we can't get this kid. But real quick for altar, uh, and there are listeners here from the Dayton area that I sure would want to know. Um, how big of an impact was was Petro for you in terms of building your game? Um, the guy's a legend, and uh, maybe shed just a little light on how good of a coach he is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he was someone that I worked closely with. You know, he knew who he knew who both me and my brother were in grade school because um, we were always at the camps and everything. And then going into high school, it was, you know, here's here's what we need to do. Here's what you need to work on. And he would, you know, give plans to coaches and the coaches would work us out. And then he was constantly in touch. You know, he's a well-connected guy, too. So in touch with college coaches. And then there's a big uh, a big camp out in Pittsburgh called Five Star. And he was basically on the board of directors of that. So. Um, you know, in, in addition to like the, the hands-on, you know, personal basketball development, it was, uh, a great contact to have in the network too. Um, as far as getting the word out of this kid can play, you should come take a look at him and him being a respectable source of, if the message gets out that Petra wants you to come look at a kid, like come look at the kid because he knows what he's talking about. And for the younger listeners out there, cause I feel like we're, we're bridging the, uh, the gap right here, Donnie, like we're, we're kind of putting young and old. I think, I think we have younger listeners. I don't know. Maybe students listen, but we're talking about right now is uh, right around the 98 to like 2000 years um, going into kind of those, uh, I don't dare I say them glory years, but great memorable years in Dayton Flyers basketball history. So you, uh, you get on campus here at, at UD and I was, before you know anything else what was the clincher from coach oliver prunell to actually get you to sign you know at dayton was it just staying home or anything more than that uh, you know i think it was it was 
the whole package that they had to offer. Um, you know, it was it was the biggest school that was recruiting me. It was obviously the the best basketball school that was recruiting me, and then you know, coming to games and seeing the atmosphere and going around, seeing the campus, um, they had just, oh, well, they were, they were making the Donaher center at the time, but, you know, we saw the plans and, and got to go through the Donaher center and all that. And, um, just the, the total package of, of everything that they had to offer was just so far and away better than everybody else that it just, uh, it just felt right. And, and, you know, I was challenged by a number of different people to, not just make the easy decision because that's what it was. If you didn't have to think about it, Dayton was the easy decision. But even after all the all the thought that I put into it, it was it was so much easy to or so easy to make that decision and know that it was the right decision and be comfortable with it. Was it vindicating to be a redshirt and see the team go to the NCAA tournament in that first year? It kind of set the stage for you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was it was satisfying knowing that. You know, I, I'd like to convince myself that I had something to do with it because those are the guys that that I helped work out. Those are the guys that that we went up or that I went up against every single day. That you know, I was their tackling dummy. I gave them kind of the live action uh, defense, work against them, and and know how much that they put into it and how deserving that they were. And you know, ultimately, it's just it's a fun experience. And obviously, when you're playing. Um, it's a great time, but even when you're when you're right there and you're part of the team and you're part of that you know small close knit group, um, to see some success is is pretty cool. Yeah, Keith, uh, and everyone knows that UD fans are one of the best in the country. And I've I've said this before in podcasts. I've I've said it in interviews. There's a a very it's got to be you get you got a big um, elephant on your a grill on your back. Because being a local guy, it's very hard for these local guys to come in and play at UD because people see you play in high school and they think, oh my gosh, this guy should be averaging 25 points. And when you don't, it, it's it's got to be uh, frustrating because so many fans will get mad. I, I use Brooks Hall as an example. That guy was Mr. Basketball and I – I'll fall in, I fall into this category. I thought this guy was going to come in averaging 30 points a game. And when he doesn't, it's so frustrating for you. Did you feel pressure being a local guy coming to Dayton? Well, I, so I never thought that highly of myself as a player. Uh, and I don't know if it was being humble or being real or, or, not knowing better. Um, but coming out of high school, you know, I, I heard the messages and, and I know the line of, of altar players that had gone down to Dayton and some had been successful. Some had not been successful and, you know, heard a couple of different times, tell Petro to stop sending these tall white stiffs down to Dayton. We want some real athletes. We want some players. And, and even knowing that, hearing that, my first freshman year, as I call it, when I was sitting out, but then knowing that after my second freshman year that I was playing, the same people that I knew were saying that stuff were like, oh, you're my favorite player. You're my son's favorite player and all that. You know, that it's like, well, that's okay. Man, I'm glad you changed your mind. I'm glad you waited before you jumped <laughs> to your conclusion, but cool. Uh, happy to be able to do that. So, um, and, and now being on the other side of it too, I th- it's, I think it's, very easy to fall into the trap of watching someone play in high school and think, wow, they're going to be really, really good. Or they're going to, they're going to average 25, 30 points. And like, that's, it's just, it's not going to happen. Um, 
it's such a different level. The game is so much different from the college level. Even if you're playing at a, at a really high level, like AAU, when you get into college and you're playing against grown men, like it's, it's a whole different ball game and you got to continue to develop yourself, develop your game, develop, uh, you know, moves and counter moves to your game and different ways to be effective when you're on the court, because the stuff that you used to be able to do, it's just not going to work anymore. For sure. You in that freshman year, I, I, you know, I think it's fair to say you held your own in the, the, the second freshman year, if you want to call it that, but you know, looking back, average 11 and seven and the college uh landscape is different in that you get a couple of games before those thanksgiving tournaments now but back in those days you guys just basically started right around thanksgiving and you played a couple less games there were 16 conference games now there's 18 and i was curious if you had that first moment maybe it was in maui in in that two or um in the 2000 season did you have a moment where you're like Oh shit! I, these guys are really good. Like I might not be able to cut it up. <laughs> yeah, that, that that moment was in Maui in my yeah. first game playing Maryland and UConn <laughs> and Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where I was like, oh shit, these guys are good. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I was flying by the seat of my pants. I don't think I. I think I was kind of just get in there and do whatever you can and not really thinking. You know, you're as a freshman, your your mind's already moving like. 10 million miles an hour. And then you throw it up against uh, a team like that. And it was like, you know, go in there. Thankfully they didn't have any, any tape on me and, and was able to capitalize on a couple of plays. And, you know, ultimately we had uh, a really good showing out there and we played really, really well against those teams. We had a number of guys that were, that were good, but probably flying under the radar and really stepped up. It was a great chance to kind of showcase our team, surprise a few people compete and, and show what we're capable of. And uh, I mean, what a, what a great place to be able to do it too. And for the listeners to have a little bit of context, to start the 2000 season, Dayton's first three games were out in Maui. They played Connecticut, who was ranked 13th in the country at the time. Then they won that game by a lot. You guys kicked the shit out of UConn, which was crazy to me looking back now. And the, the second game was against Arizona, who was at that time the number one team in the country. And then the third game was against sixth ranked Maryland. Uh, and you guys won that game, too, to go two and one, which was I mean, it's incredible. And that's I don't think we'll ever see a start to the season like we did that year just because of how the landscape has changed and how you schedule. But uh, walk us through kind of what that first trip to Maui is like, right? Because that has to be a whirlwind, and then you play in that like two thousand seat gym. What's that like? Yeah, it was it was wild because uh, you've you know I had been to games at the arena, and our arena is huge, and it's you know it's big and it's loud, and then you get out there, and it's you know it's a high school gym. There's maybe fifteen rows of bleachers um, on each side, and not really much of anything in the end zone. Uh, the the locker rooms. Are, and it's and it's not even really a basketball gym. It's like a multi-purpose center type of thing because the locker room, civic center. Yeah, the locker rooms aren't even really locker rooms. It's like there's windows out into the main part of the arena, and they just have, you know, they've got some like wires on them 
but there's no actual windows in there. So you can see and hear and smell everything that's going on. And then there's just a curtain dividing like our locker room for the other locker room. So, you know, we're, we're sitting there going through like pregame scouting. The coaches are like, you know, come on, we really got to bring it. We, we got to do this and Keith, you're on this guy. And this is, and, and they're whispering, but they're trying to be intense, but you can't say anything because the next team is right next door. And the same thing at halftime, it's like, all right, get really close. We got to come over here. We, well, all right, we're not going to really talk about much anything. And, you know, if a coach is pissed off, you hear them right there. You could hear them out in the gym. You could hear everything that was going on. So, yeah, it was it, – it, it's – so much of it is college basketball, but then it's not college basketball. And it's fun to get a tournament atmosphere where you got like equal fans from every team that's there. Uh, you know, it's not like one team's fans just absolutely dominate the building because there's only, only so many tickets to go around. And, and uh, I just, I love those atmospheres too. I just love looking at that gym every year because you're right. It's such an authentic college basketball venue without actually being a real college basketball venue yeah and, it, it just, and now that we're going back this year it's just so topical to, to talk about Maui all over again and obviously you guys got the uh, unique privilege of going twice in that that four-year period there um, but before we get back to that and I, I promised that I would go chronologically and since I already screwed that up in the first couple of minutes I'll uh, I'll do my best to uh, to press on <laughs> Uh, with you guys, you will go through the season freshman year. Um, you were ranked at one point when you got back from Maui, which, you know, deservedly so given the uh, the gauntlet that you had to run through. When you guys didn't make the tournament and then bowed out in the NIT, you know, was that kind of the perfect fuel going into that second year when you were basically bringing most of the core back, the guys that were producing, you know, did that really set the tone for like what was to come later on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at it and it's like hindsight, it's program development type of thing, right? Where we did well, we did some things really, really well that season, but now, you know, like you've got to sustain it. You can't just play good in the Maui tournament and think that you're going to be able to ride that into the NCAA tournament. And so, you know, to make it the year before, start the season off well, but then not ultimately not make it to the NCAA tournament was a little discouraging and a little disappointing for us. Um, See, it's, it just showed us and not to sound like a coach or too cliche, but it showed us what we're capable of. You know, we're capable of doing it. We just have to actually go out and do it and find the right pieces. And, you know, that's up to coaches to recruit the right pieces and, and not only replace, but upgrade. And, you know, that's, that's a big time, tough job. And I think over the course of my years there, we were, we were able to, it took us a little while to get going. Um, and God, I can't as as we go chronologically too, because I'm sure we'll get to it. Because you know, eventually we made it to the NCAA tournament uh, a couple of times, had some really good teams, but crapped out in the first round. And and um, you know, that's that's how that story goes. But I like to think we at least started to set a foundation and building blocks of you know Dayton basketball, getting it back into it, uh, getting making postseason like a, an every year type of thing. And I think you guys did because when you look at the the '90s, I mean, I I know that we're at a point now in our program's history where a lot of kids that are students, of course, and even guys that are my age, didn't really pick up on the program until they got to campus. Which for me was 2008, when all that was kind of behind us, right? Because for 
you know, keeping things simplistic, I mean, Oliver Purnell kind of took us out of those dark ages, right? And he yep. took UD from a program that was just stepped on in the A-10 because, you know, Dayton joined the A-10 in 1995. And they basically were just shit on until the time that you got there. And, and they had a couple of seasons where they put together in 98, they were 21 and 12. But for the most part, Dayton was kind of an afterthought in a league that was very strong. Because at that time, St. Joe's was very strong year over year. You had Temple, you had Xavier. And those teams were pretty much the class of the league. And then you had like George Washington would pop up uh, from time to time and they would have a couple of good years, of course. But just give the listeners an idea of kind of like what OP did to take the program from doormat to relevance. OP was a really good planner. Right. And he had like he knew what he wanted to have happen uh, in his own head. And he made sure and surrounded himself with players and coaches that would help him execute on that. And, you know, a couple of a couple of great examples are you're watching a game and you call a timeout or he call a timeout for whatever the situation is in the game. Players come to the bench, they sit down, he gathers around the coaches and he pretty much go one by one and say, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? Knowing what he already had the idea of what he wanted to do, but he wanted to double check. What do you think we need to do? Is there something that I missed? Do I like that idea? Do I not like that idea? Did he skip over something? Then he'd be like, all right, I got it. And then we, he wouldn't even tell him, but we go into the huddle and, you know, okay, here's the game plan, guys. And then we worked on we worked on all these little situations. We worked on situations at the end of, at the end of games, at the end of clocks, at the end of shot clocks. Um, and like practice, we, every time we would play scrimmage five on five, put six minutes on the clock. We worked on playing with the lead. We worked on playing from behind. We worked on tie games. Um, and he was like every situation, different lineup combos, who had foul trouble and wouldn't be with us, you know, who was the stud from the other team, that type of stuff. And then we get into games and he made it a point to call a timeout at the six minute mark or close to the six minute mark of every game to come in and say, all right, guys, six minute game. It's winning time. We've been in this situation a million times. We know how to do it from here. Let's go do it. And I think just having that confidence from him, just it, it translated through. And the more and more you do it day in and day out, the more and more natural it becomes and feels that you're able to execute it when the lights are on and the people are in the stands. Donnie, I think our current coach could take a page out of that. <laughs> no kidding. You know? I, I will I will fight I will fight to the death for OP. I mean, like you like you said, Sully, he he saved UD basketball. He brought him back from the dead. And and Keith, I know I've heard you uh, talk about him being a planner and whatnot. And I hate to you know sound like I'm bashing the guy. I, I really don't want to, but everyone knows that he's never won an NCAA tournament game, or he never won an NCAA tournament game. Do you think that his he was so prepared for these games um, and in the league games, he knew that that was his downfall because when you get into NCAA tournament, you only have like a day to prepare. You only have a certain quick, uh, quick amount of time to prepare. Do you think that his maybe not OCD, but just his tendencies to um, be so stubborn might've hurt him in the, in showing that he's never actually again, won an NCAA tournament game? Not, not necessarily that way. I mean, it's also um, bad luck, too. I mean, you guys yeah, – yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of times where, you know, we, we look at 
either one of our NCAA tournament games, and Lord knows there's a couple, and it's uh, there's stats you can rattle off that I mean they're not even worth rattling off, but it's you know a couple of points. The one game went to double overtime. It's a couple of just bad luck things, yep. and you know part of it is you got to be able to survive, you got to be able to with, withstand that, uh, you know the lumps, make it through, and make changes on the fly and you know, and those, and those isolated situations, we just, we weren't able to do that. And, um, you know, it stinks that he wasn't able to enjoy that success, but like I said, I think it, it at least laid the foundation of, okay, we're going to continue to elevate, elevate our players, elevate our program. And, you know, even you might even be able to say, as we look back on it, man, we were good. We should have won some of those games. Uh, OP never won an NCAA tournament game, but with the teams that we had and the players that we had, did we outperform expectations? Did we outperform, you know, our abilities that we had within those teams, you know, possibly. Um, So, you know, ultimately I would call it a, a, an overall success. When you look back at those first two years and uh, in my constant effort to provide context in uh, 2001, you guys went 21 and 13, nine and seven in the conference Uh, was good enough for a fifth in the A-10 before they broke it down into divisions. And then in 2002, you guys went 21 and 11. That was good enough for third in the West division when they, when they broke it up, uh, I believe it was six and six at the time. And you can always say that, you know, winning is great and we've learned a lot from our successes. But what would you say was the biggest lesson that you took away from those first two years that really set the tone for the next two years beyond that? Uh, you know, I would I don't know. That's a good question. I just that's what I'm all about here, man. I, that's why, like, we do so well and everybody loves our show because all yeah. I do is questions. <laughs> you so. guys put some thought into that one. Um, <laughs> You know, as difficult as it sounds, like it's a year over year thing and you're not just replacing guys that you think are good players. You have to upgrade from them. Right. And without without diving into names or anything like that, because I'm not going to bash any former teammates, because, you know, like I said, I thought we had guys that probably outperformed their abilities. Um, And I don't know. I don't know if. OP got the right guys on those follow-up years after successes um, to be able to continue to move forward uh, or or to continue to take another step forward and start winning NCAA tournament games. So knowing that, you know, it takes, it takes skill at every single position and not just, you know, one former Mr. Basketball or one all state player, but multiple guys at every position to be able to do that. Um, you know, I think that's, that might've been where we, where we fell short a little bit. And then just knowing from, you know, from our own personnel that like, you know, mediocrity is not going to cut it like 21 and 11. That sounds great, but 20 wins, uh, any more 20 wins isn't, you know, isn't necessarily going to get you into the tournament. So you got to go out there and you gotta, you gotta perform. 20 wins has really kind of become that like running joke in college basketball, if you will. And especially for a program like Dayton, because we've said this a million times, but winning 20 games means absolutely nothing to a program like Dayton anymore, because you look back at a lot of those years even, and that, that aspect hasn't really changed. I mean, you know, those years I just described, you know, those were not tournament years and we had years under BG or 23 and 11 missed the tournament 
uh, 22 and 14 at the end of the year, 20 and 13 under Archie's first year. I mean, it's just not even a benchmark that's worth following anymore because no. 20 wins sounds great, you know, but it's just not for our program and where we're at and winning games in the A-10. Neil Sullivan, the athletic director, has said this pretty bluntly now. You know, we really have to be at 23, 24 wins, and we have to be at single-digit losses to get in the tournament. And, and I don't think that's really changed at all, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, that's one of the thing, one of the very few things that, that hasn't changed. But so, you, you know, now we're, we're kind of moving through the years, and, and we're into that, that third year where you guys really started to put it together. And uh, as a like an eighth grader from Pittsburgh, uh, that was probably one of my favorite teams. Uh, there was certainly some horrible memories that came along with that season, along with the great ones. But uh, as we're you know, talking through and going into that year, you guys were – absolutely like a juggernaut in that a 10 um, you guys were 14 and two. And that was kind of one of those years where the hump of Xavier became so very real that, that the program needed to get over. Um, my question is really around the Atlantic 10 conference, because you guys pretty much owned it from top to bottom in that 2002, 2003 season. Um, was there anybody outside of Xavier that you were really like, afraid to play against or was there kind of a feeling in the locker room of hey you know we finally are about to have our year I don't think there was anybody that we were ever afraid to play against and even and even Xavier I wouldn't label them as afraid to play against. We sure. knew that there were games that were going to be tough. Uh, Richmond seemed to come into the league at that time and and be a team like that. Temple was like that. St. Joe's was like that. Um yeah that you knew that it was just, it was going to be, it, it was going to be a tough game. Not that we weren't ever scared to play it though. Cause I think most of the guys on our team kind of enjoyed that, looked at it as a challenge and kind of said, you know, instead of if we were afraid the years before, or if we didn't want to play in those games or we, you know, hesitant to step up these, you know, the next two years where we, where we did have good teams or when guys really did want to step up, we had, everybody on the team, everybody on the bench wanted to step up and work hard to do the right things in those games, do what they had to, to win. And I think at the same time, we had guys that were actually starting to develop into players um, and, and we're playing really well and we're playing really well together as well. Going into that 2002, 2003 season, you just look at who the seniors were on that the seniors were on that team, uh, Brooks, uh, Nate Green, DJ Stelly, and just goes to show the leadership that you had from them. And then, of course, you, Ramad, and Finn being juniors. I, I like to think that going into that year, you just knew that you guys, that was the team. That, that if, if there was going to be a team that Dayton was going to go far. It was that team. It, it just, everyone was looking forward to that year. Yeah. And that, you know, I think I was starting to develop. Finn was starting to develop. Brooks was playing well. Ramad was stepping up. Um, you know, myself and Ramad and, and Sean as, as juniors, DJ never met a shot that he didn't like. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, you go to the bench and you got Nate and Yante and, and, 
you know, there were times that there were times that they would absolutely be great. There were times that they, that they weren't, but on those days where we had everybody clicking and that's, you know, that's the point of the team. Not everybody's going to be clicking every single night, but we had guys that were hungry and we had guys that were capable of, you know, the nights that one guy wasn't clicking, we had somebody else picking up the slack. And obviously that's the, the, you know, the definition of the team. And that's why we, uh, why we had the success that we did, except for that final game of the season. (laughs) You also have the distinction of being on the last Dayton Flyers team that played in Cameron Indoor Arena. And what was that like? Was that kind of cool? Oh, that was awesome. I'm, and I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a reason that we're the last team that played a game <laughs> indoor arena. They're not having us yeah. back. Uh, no. You know, that's, no. That's, and and <laughs> even, even teams now, and I'm sure like, you know, Neil Sullivan has been pretty open about scheduling and the difficulties <laughs> of scheduling uh, with us, with Dayton as a team and not just getting teams to come to Dayton, but even getting teams to schedule a home and home, even getting teams to schedule a one-off road game and an away yeah. game. I mean, he's you're literally getting messages from people saying he's not playing you like no we're not picking up this game we don't we don't have anything to gain by it it's too much of a trap game for us and you know i'm sure whoever scheduled scheduled us uh from duke's side to come play them there got into some got into some trouble um because you know we gave them a scare it was they had to work for it down the stretch it wasn't the uh the non-conference home win by 25 that they were accustomed to but yeah what an awesome place to play though just uh, you know an awesome arena you know how how historic of a place and you watch it growing up you still watch it now and it's a special place to play basketball and to be able to say yeah i got to play there and uh we gave him a run too and you know coach coach shevsky knows who i am he complimented our yeah that polish kid it's good to see a good uh you know a fellow polack do well out there <laughs> awesome was his, was his comment after the game yeah <laughs> at that game at duke i know the last time you and i talked i, I remember you said uh, the cameron crazies they do their homework they they find out like personal stuff on you guys and just like let you have it i mean was it was it pretty crazy just seeing like being that close to such a rabid fan base I oh yeah it was it was funny it was fun like and, and i enjoy that like i don't i don't get put off or or upset or offended by people saying the wrong stuff but um you know when it's when we're coming out on the court to shoot before the game and and their student sections like lined up and just as rowdy as they are during the game and uh you know we we line up and strength coach lined us up before we go into the locker room. We're going to go through our stretches and everything. And it's like, you know, you're down on the ground. All right, right leg up. And, you know, we're all counting it out. One, two, three. But every student there, every Cam and Crazy there is also going, one, two, three, eight, nine, ten, switch. Eight, nine, ten, switch. It was, it was just funny. It was like, oh, man, they're all over. Like, I'm on the court laughing at them before the game. It was, it was funny. Where was the place where you guys got heckled the worst? So you, maybe you specifically or the team? Um, George Washington, when they were good. Really? Um, yeah, they got, they, they got into it pretty good because they made their student section right behind your bench. And, yeah. and they were into it. Yeah, there was, you know, I, I remember my first freshman year because that, that was when they were really good. Um, and I was sitting out. But we come out of their tunnel 
And, you know, immediately there's like three ass man signs that hang up and a couple of pictures of people pulling their pants down, that type of stuff, making fun of Ashman. And, you know, they're just they're on you the whole game saying stuff about your mom and your sister. And it's like, you know, you can you can get offended and be like, man, they shouldn't be saying that. Or you could. Go, that's that's really that's funny. I'm I'm impressed by your imagination there. So <laughs> I was I was always one of the latter. Were there guys on the team where it, it kind of did get to them or it like bugged the shit out of them? Yeah, it got to Mark Jones uh, one game because uh, he was he was uh, he was pretty upset that they were saying what they were saying. And it was like, uh, Mark, <laughs> <come> on, <man>. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't really mean it. They're just doing doing it to do exactly what they've accomplished and get under your skin. So he was he was pissed. He wanted to fight. And Mark's the type of guy that would have gone like one against fifty two. So you had to like reel him back in and be like, <laughs> it, like it's not the 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 malice at the palace. If you go into the stands, I'm not going in after you. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, this is your one man band. Yeah, you're fighting that battle <laughs> on your own. Temple too, though. Um, they we always played their games uh, at noon, middle of the day, uh-huh. and there was nobody ever there. It was not in a good part of town. And so there's a reason they always started their games early. Plus, I mean, for them, it was sleeping in because Cheney started their practices at six o'clock in the morning. Um, but not we get surprising. there. Right. And, and, and at one point I'm shooting a free throw and I'm, uh, you know, uh, waiting for the ball. And I look over and the two people that are in their, in their student section are standing there. And one is just holding up like a hand towel and he had written on it, you suck dick. <laughs> he wasn't yelling. He wasn't screaming. It just said, you suck dick. And I'm like, free throw line, like, <laughs> like giggling to myself like I am now. Like, that's, that's hilarious to me. But okay, good job for you. <laughs> I don't know. Stuff, so I was, always, I was always amused by stuff like that. There's uh, there's two signature moments uh, to me out of that uh, 2003 season before the tournament, of course, and before you guys won uh, the A-10 tournament at the arena. And it just occurred to me that one of them is in the intro that I made for this show last year. Um, the huddle before the play, uh, I'm talking about the buzzer beater to beat Villanova in the arena uh, right before Christmas in 2002. Um, do you remember what happened in the huddle right there? Like what play was called? Cause it was kind of like a broken play and then just like Brooks Hall threw no. the ball up and went in like, yeah, it was so, and that's still online. You could YouTube that one. And, uh, that's how I got it in the intro for the show. 20 seconds left. Villanova going to go for the final shot. Buchanan backing in against Brooks Hall. Can't shake him. Nine seconds. Buchanan loses the ball. Wallace picks it up to Jones. Jones to Hall. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was, and I forget if we were, if, if the game was tied because. It, it was because I remember yeah. asking they why you didn't call timeout. Yeah. I was like, why didn't yeah. you call timeout? Yeah. Well, they had the ball, drove middle, and we got a, like, we got a strip. I think I had a hand on it, and the guy coughed it up into someone else's hands. They passed it up to me, obviously, because when you think handles, you think Keith Wallaskowski. Let's get it to him <laughs> on the break with time running out. Um, and so I take a couple dribbles and try 
tried to float a ball over to Mark Jones. So and he had a layup, but it was kind of one of those timing uh, timing touch passes. He jumps entirely too early, can't get to the ball, comes down like as he's on the ground, and it carries him out of bounds. And he like flipped it back to Brooks, and Brooks got a shot off like at the buzzer, goes in pandemonium i think that's a direct quote from adam's pandemonium and the dayton decibel dungeon but the dayton flyers beat villanova 80 to 78 my goodness pandemonium in the dayton decibel dungeon as brooks hall picks up the loose ball keith walskowski comes up with it on the opposite end brings it up for as a point guard tries to get it to mark jones Jones tips it back to Hall, and Hall knocks it down. Now the officials are checking to see if there's any time left on the clock. Pandemonium and Dayton. Yeah, that was uh, another one of those games that we weren't supposed to win, but, you know, you scratch and claw and find a way and get a little lucky at the end. And, and that was that whole year, right? Like there was just yeah. games that you guys just were able to scrape out like here and there. Um, but, you know, at, before we, we get to, uh, to the triumph, I mean, what – what was that game against Xavier like when you, you know, David West scored 47 and 18 at Xavier. And then like three weeks later, Xavier comes to the arena. They're ranked 14th in the country. You guys had him on the ropes. And then he hits that fucking shot with whatever it was, like five seconds left or something from the elbow. It, what, what was that? Like, were you guys kind of like, it, did it take the wind out of your sails or was it more just like, all right, on to the next game, like not even worrying about it? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I appreciate you bringing that up. Do you want me to send you the bill for therapy that I got? to? I me no, too, man. I was yeah. like 13 years old, so I did not take that loss very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, down there it was, it was one of those games where he hit everything. I mean, he was, he hit like two double clutch three pointers. They were calling foul for him like fadeaway shots they're calling fouls and he hit every free throw and every shot you know it's just one of those nights everything he put up was going in and we yeah. couldn't do anything to stop him and it was I, I you know i think we just got to the point they were running iso everything and we didn't double that often because i think we just kind of said well let's force him to do what we can and we'll deal with what he has but just make sure nobody else gets anything and you know that's it sucked for me, um, but ended up losing that game. And like I said, he, those were always good games. You knew the crowd was going to be into it. You knew it was going to be intense. You knew it was going to be close no matter how good they were, how good we were, or how bad either of us were. You knew it was going to be a good, tough, close game. And and as much as it sucks to lose those games that way, like I enjoyed being a part of them. I enjoyed that experience of being in such a such a high-tension um, game. And then, you know, I got to remind people every once in a while, too. It's not like we got swept by them for four years. We picked them off a couple of times, too. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, in those years, it was like a little back and forth, you know, because you guys were able to get him at the arena and then you'd lose in Cincinnati. And then, you know, that, that, uh, that kind of, you know, seesaw was going on those for all those years. And I think honestly, when Dayton started to get back to relevance in, in your years, that really set the tone for the rivalry kind of, um, at least in those four years there, but junior year, for you, and we're talking about 2003 right now for our listeners that might have lost track. Uh, you guys go 14-2 and two in the conference, and then you know that the A-10 tournament is in your own home gym. And you guys are the last team to win the A-10 tournament at Dayton, which is fucking embarrassing. And it makes me, like, 
just – my blood's boiling talking about it right now, the fact that we've gone 15 years without winning the A-10 tournament. But what what was that like, just that whole experience? It was, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it's a tournament atmosphere, plus you're at home. Like, there was, there was no beating that. That was all-around fun. Um you know, take take the biggest game at the arena, and then you multiply it, and that's that's kind of how it was. And to be able to win, cut down some nets, hoist a trophy, uh, you know, party with a few folks afterwards, it, it was it was a good time. It's something that I'll never forget. And then seeing afterwards, I think I had like a full page picture in ESPN the magazine, and we're making the rounds on Sports Center and all that. Like that stuff's awesome. Did you go back to the dorms like whilst partying and like turn on sports center? Uh, no, we were out of the dorms by then. We did uh, we did meander on out to the ghetto to see what was going on and had a couple of like cheap bottles of champagne that we that we popped and cracked and sprayed all over everybody like we just won a NASCAR race. Um, so, you know, I'm glad I got the opportunity to do that once in my life and have it mean something. <laughs> Were there like people out in the streets that night in the ghetto? Like, what was the scene? Uh, like? I don't remember the streets. I remember a couple of house parties being pretty packed, um, and and you know I had a a number of pretty close friends that I was with. So you know we were we made sure that we were with them and doing everything with them. It was uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But no, not uh, they had put in the kibosh on burning couches in the streets, and it definitely was not uh, not as big as an uh, an elite eight run where you've got the whole campus on key favor or wherever that was i think now that it's been so damn long since we've won the a10 tournament though that like the next time we do it is just going to be so huge right it's just going to be like the spectacle yeah well and it's cool and it's a you know it's an opportunity to win a championship and you know you've got an opportunity at at maui you've got an opportunity for the league and then that's the third opportunity of the season is to win the the league tournament before you go with the fourth opportunity to win the national championship which you know I'm, I'm we're not fooling anybody we're a ways away from that but if if we could keep that you know within sights you know and that would be pretty cool yeah keith uh, you guys made the tournament and i know sully wants to ask about tulsa but i i really don't it's it still hurts it still hurts but what they i do want to talk about they all do what, what, what i what I do want to talk about is after the Tulsa tournament because uh, OP leaves for Clemson, and I guess I kind of want to get your thoughts on the situation because that ha- I don't know if there were rumors going around. I mean, looking back at it, I think there were some writings on the wall um, that there were uh, that Clemson was is going to opt because he left, I believe, like right after the game, right, like or a couple days later. I mean, generally, that's what happens is is they go right, and you don't necessarily like yeah. you know after after that we get home and you know you don't see your coach for a couple of days. You're you're kind of off the hook. They let you go. It's not like the leagues where where you got exit meetings or anything like that. It's just you know don't be an idiot, don't get arrested type of stuff. You know, just good old good old fashioned uh, rules right there. Um, <laughs> And so how did you find out, like, did he call you guys for a meeting to tell no, you he was leaving? See, people, people leak that stuff, and that's just kind of how the business runs. You know, it's okay. it's it's uh, not like we got Adrian Wojnarowski breaking news or anything like that, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, yeah, a Woj bomb, no yeah. Woj bombs. But if you, <laughs> if you got a guy and you think he's committed and you definitely want him committed and you think maybe he's on the fence, well, maybe have someone leak it. And I think – 
OP wanted to get up to get back to Dayton to tell to be the ones to tell us. Unfortunately, someone on their side leaked it because uh, I found out when I saw his face next to the Clemson Tiger ball on a TV at Tim's. Um, oh my God. But, and it was like, what the hell is this really happening? You, and then it's like, Hey, we got a meeting the next day. And it's like, Oh, well kind of know what this is about. Um, but that's when, you know, he said, Hey, he, sorry, didn't get a chance or to, to be the first to tell us, but you know, wishes us all the best. It's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I know it's college, but it's a, yeah, it is. It is, it is the business and he's got to look out for himself and he earned it and you know, it sucks. It is what it is, but good luck coach. And he's moving on. And then it was time for us to move on. And, uh, and so we did. And that was my, my, to, to, to uh, seg into the next question was then BG comes in. Did you know anything about him or was it kind of a shocking hire? Because I know a lot of people wanted to hire like in-house. They wanted maybe, you know, one of OP's assistants. I know Jerza was, was talked about maybe getting the job. Uh, were you kind of shocked when, when BG got that job? Um, yeah, I don't know. Yes and no. Cause I mean, we didn't know all the workings of, of all of that stuff. And I know a lot of us had developed a good relationship with Jersa um, while he was there. And so, you know, that's who we were comfortable with. That's who we were familiar with. Uh, but then they said, you know, Hey guys, you know, we handle this stuff. We've got a list. We're always prepared for these situations. Uh, they roll with it and then they introduce us to BG and it was like, well, it's, I mean, he's the associate head coach from Michigan state. And when your coach comes in and introduces himself and shows you his national championship ring and says, you know, this is, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to develop this program into. And he's all about it. Um, and then basically says, this is the last time you're going to see me wearing this because I'm not going to live in the past. Uh, but this is what I want, but I want it to have our name on it. You know, it, it he made a big impact. Uh, I think he won, he certainly won me over, um, that first time that we met and that first time that he talked with us as a team. Was there still a feeling, though, of like, hey, this is our team. You know, we just got a four seed in the tournament. And so was it, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, we have our own culture here. And not that BG had to, like, fit in. But was there kind of like you said, you know, he won you guys over right away. But I guess I was just curious if you guys ever had that, like, hey, this is Dayton. Like, you, you kind of have to do things a little bit more our way because we are a good team. We're not a bunch of slouches. Right. right? Well, you know, I think his kind of message was, you guys did good. We got some pieces, but we're capable of doing more. And I want to do more. And I want to be better. And we're going to work your asses off to make you better, to get to to get to those things that you guys haven't been able to accomplish yet. And so it comes off as a challenge. And, yeah, we had a good team. But he also – you know, he, he knew what he was working with and he knew that he had myself and Sean Ramada as seniors. So he met with us and he challenged us as seniors all the time to be leaders, to challenge the rest of the team, uh, you know, to bring them along with us to, to get them to perform better, to do more. Um, and then selfishly, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for him. I had a good relationship with him. I still had a good relationship with him and he frequently came to me and it was kind of like a, you know, what do you think we should do here? What are the guys saying? Not like a, be a mole or a rat or anything like that, but just kind of like, you know, are we good? Can we push harder? Do we need practice? Do you need time off? Is this too much? Is this not enough? Like be honest with me, what do you need me to do? Cause you know, for him, it was a learning experience too. It was, this was the first time that he was 100% in charge. Um, yeah. So, 
and he was and he was behind Izzo too. So it was like you know he he was kind of behind one of those like big dog. Games, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So you know he leaned on us a lot, and as much as Ramad and Sean and myself could have looked at him and said, you know, this is our team. He came in and said, this is your team. It, it told everybody, if we're going to do anything, it's going through one of these three guys first. Um, so he put a lot of the onus on the, uh, of our senior years onto us. And, you know, it was still, still a pretty good year, but same story that we crapped out early. But you guys did have one of the best trips to start a year that I think any Dayton basketball team has ever had. You went to Pepperdine and then to Maui. That had to be like oh, the best man. start to a senior year ever, yeah, that was, right? That was pretty solid. <laughs> Got a Malibu and Maui, yeah. That was a good trip. That was the humanity. It was a good trip. Yeah, and then winning out in Maui <laughs> was, was fun was, too. Yeah. When you guys went back to Maui, obviously you had a little bit of familiarity and the um, – Oh, I don't know. The competition wasn't number one in the country, but uh, you know, did the familiarity kind of help you guys win that along with the the competition that that was out? Yeah, there? we. I mean, we knew what we were getting into. We knew what we knew the schedule. We knew the gym. We knew where we were going, and and it just helps ease the tensions um, of doing it. So, but then you got to go out there. You got to actually do it, and you know, ball bounced our way a few times, and you can edit out the part where where you talk about the lack of competition. But other other than that, I think it's still on that wall. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't is. matter how you win; it's still there. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> what do you remember most from that senior year? Um, and uh, you know, we, we can put the the tournament loss aside and double OT, but just that that regular season. You know, you're being your last go round, playing in the arena. Was there anything that stood out more than anything else? Uh, I just the fact that we enjoyed it. You know, we had a good time playing the game. We had a good time being in front of the fans, and and I think that we were starting to get a little bit of respect as a as an organization, um, which made us feel all that much better as well. Uh, but just, I mean, you couldn't, I, you you could, but that'd be getting a little bit greedy, in my opinion. You know, I I had a good experience. Sure. I had a good senior year. Um, you know, we had a we had a fun time while we were doing it, and that's you know that was what was important to us was was going out, playing hard, winning games, and and enjoying the ride too. For sure. Was there anything you know looking back? And of course, I'm just kind of alluding to the fact you guys got out to like a really hot start, and I'm doing the thing again where I'm providing context for everybody because they don't look at Sports Reference like I do religiously while they're recording episodes. But you guys, you know, jumped out to that 19 and three start, and then down the stretch, you had a really tough schedule playing the Jameer Nelson St. Joe's team. You had to go at Xavier, um, and you know for just simplicity's sake, you guys stumbled a little bit starting 19 and three and then finishing the year 24 and nine, you know, in hindsight being 2020, can you attribute that to anything like guys getting fatigued or just the competition in the league? Uh, shoot. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. A little bit of both. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's not like the league. You, you had a couple of teams that are just, they're good teams. They were tough. Um, and then, yeah, down the stretch, you got to be you got to be at your peak, which we obviously weren't. And and whether it was guys, younger guys trying to find their identity still or some of the younger guys that, you know, I, what was Monty Scott? Was he a sophomore that year? Is that right? And, yeah. Yeah, you correct. know, we had uh, after myself and Sean and Ramad, I mean, we, we were solid, but 
we didn't have the same caliber of guys um, on the bench that we had had in years past and not to, not for that to be a knock on them or anything, but um, you know, that coming down the stretch when guys are, you're trying to manage minutes and maybe guys get a little banged up, like those things start to show. And, and obviously that year they did. And not for nothing. I mean, you guys won your division that year and you were 12 and four in the league. It wasn't like you had a bad year or anything. But, you know, I asked Kyle Davis the same question of, you know, when you guys look back, you know, how, you know, why did things go south in that March? And, you know, his answer was kind of similar. He's like, I don't know. You know, those other guys want to win, too. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to sometimes. Like, you know, the other guys want to win just as bad as you do. Yeah. And, and, and in those years, you had a lot of really good teams. And one of the things that always pissed me off about that year beyond the tournament was that Xavier was like wholly mediocre. And then they like came into the arena and won the tournament anyway. But, um, you know, it's just kind of that's why I always am interested to hear the guys that that lived through it and played those games, because sometimes you have an answer to say, you know, these guys just ran out of gas. And then other times just like, you know what, like things just didn't fall our way. We didn't hit shots one night and that was it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's uh it's just sports. I don't even think I want to ask about the Paul game. I don't want to do it. No. I could. I could do it. I remember watching that game. That game was late, wasn't it? It wasn't like a really It was late, late. Plus, it was out on the West Coast. Wasn't that the one where we went out to Spokane? It was. Yeah. No, that was the year before. That was the year before. You where was it? Was it? Oh, no, Buffalo? no. You guys played in Phoenix. Who was it? DePaul? Didn't Sean? Sean went like yeah. 0 for 10. And I think they had a guy on their team that went over 10. And we ran a play at the end, like a pick and roll. And like, go watch the film. Like, I'm rolling down the middle of the lane wide open. I think Sean was standing underneath the basket the entire time wide open, too. And it's like, I think Ramad went for a hero shot. And it's like, you watch it and you're just like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> that's, that's just the reaction. And it's not like the whole season came down to that or your whole career came down to that. But it was like, shit. <laughs> you know, like any one of those hundred things that went wrong, you can point to it at the end. But, you know, if Sean makes one of those free throws, if I make one of the other shots that I make, if we have one less turnover, if one of the guys got one more rebound that they didn't get an offensive rebound. Like it's, it's easy as fans to point to the end of the game and say, you know, Oh, we blew it down the stretch. But at the same point there, we had a million opportunities throughout the game to, to do it too. And, And I think that's the perfect place to, to like bookend the discussion of like where, you know, those teams were, and then like the eventual elite eight team, because I feel like we all got wrapped up in, in how great that year was to 2014. Right. And what you're talking about is the exact reason that Dayton was there, you know, for all the same reasons where things didn't fall for you guys, for whatever reason that year, everything fell for Dayton. Yeah. You know, if Aaron crafts like leaner goes in, we never talk about this. If Tyler Ennis hits the the buzzer beater of Syracuse, we never talk about this. If if Kansas doesn't get upset by Stanford, we're barely talking about Dayton playing, you know, in that tournament. Or, you know, it's just like a pretty cool Sweet 16 story. But you're right. It's like that's kind of the beauty of the tournament and, and the knife cuts both ways because some years – 
it's all on your side and you can do no wrong. And then other years, you know, you run up against a Tulsa team that shouldn't have been a 13 seed that had won like 30 games and you get shipped out to Spokane or you're playing DePaul in Phoenix and you score four points in overtime because shots aren't falling. It's like that is what makes the tournament great, right? They won three games that season, and those are the three most memorable memorable games of recent history. And and you know to say that I'm not jealous of guys that got an NCAA tournament win would be a lie because I am. But you know at the same time I'm I'm happy with our experiences, and I still like to to think and convince ourselves that even back when I was playing like that, you know that was the the foundation, that was the building blocks of the program, and and you know, we were at least able to get things kickstarted in the right direction. When you to, to, you know, bring everything full circle from the, the years you played and you're looking at now and heading into the third year of Anthony Grant and, and frankly, like a, a make or break season, do you feel like the culture of Dayton basketball has changed or you just kind of feel like, I personally feel like we've kind of just built on the same things that have always been inherently Dayton basketball, but do you feel like the culture has changed? I do a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, it was a, a little bit of a transition uh, a couple years for Anthony and getting everything set with him. But, you know, I think the expectations are there and not just the expectations from fans, um, but the expectation from the team and the expectation from the program is there to go out and to perform and to win games, compete for titles, make it to the tournament and hopefully advance. And where it used to be. Well, we we go out and we'd play and we'd have some good seasons and and we'd win our home games because Dayton was a tough place to play. You know, now they're going out and they're winning games elsewhere. They're getting nationally televised. They're getting into exempt tournaments every year. Uh, we're putting on a good show when it comes to our program and earning some respect. So, you know, I I think. I hope that we're over the hump and now we can start another uh, another run of NCAA tournaments and advancing in those tournaments. And, you know, there's just it seems like there's a different caliber and level of recruit that we're able to get into the school and people that are going to represent the university well. But at the same time, people that are really, really freaking good basketball players, too. And so hopefully we can just actually um, translate that into some wins. Hey, let's hope. That's why we're all here. That's why people are listening to the podcast. That's right. They care. That's right. I know that Donnie has been itching now and and we're going on being our longest podcast ever. But I, you know, I think it's warranted when there's good conversation. I don't, yeah, I don't hit the stop button on stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Worth it. So Donnie's been itching and we're going to do it. It's time for the hot or not. Finally. Hot or not. Is this bitch hot or not? Okay. Well, I was watching uh, uh, on HBO uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, and uh, I think this should be probably a unanimous Ooh. one, but I want to go with Dakota Johnson, her uh, very famous family. Isn't her mom Melanie? Yeah. Is her mom Melanie Griffith? Yeah, Melanie Griffith. Yeah. Anyway, she's in that. She, I think she's in the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey How old is she movies. now? I, you um, know, I heard you talking yeah, so earlier about you having kids. Yeah. You know how long it's been since I've seen a movie that's not a Disney movie? <laughs> yeah. So, like, you're saying Dakota Johnson, exactly. and I'm, the, uh, you know, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, some 
kid that's like a little girl and i don't know if it's appropriate for me to answer <laughs> no 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 she, only she, on is, this podcast, she is well yeah, she is well of rule, age really well that's good you're not not setting me up for no, a trap we would never do that to you she's actually my age she's 29 years old yeah. <laughs> is she really that's almost the same yeah, age exactly. as me yeah no, not. you're right in that ballpark there uh so i did a quick goobs <laughs> Just because I had to remember her, for, you know, I, I had to jog my memory from Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, fun fact about that movie: apparently, her and the co-star—I uh, can't even remember off the top of my head—who played him because my specialty is college basketball and not Hollywood movies. But apparently, her co-star in Fifty Shades of Grey—they like fucking hated each other. <laughs> and I always thought that was really funny because they had to film like very intimate sex scenes with each other which is like just the most awkward thing I could possibly think of in my life. But this is actually a tough one. I'm, you know, and she has the she always looks so tired. forehead thing going, but she hides it really well because she does the big bangs. And because of that, she just barely got over the line for me. And I'm going to go hot. You're going to go hot. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with not. Since I had to, since I had to Google yeah, search to even find out who we were talking about. Yeah. Well, we always do. you got to do a quick googs, which probably, yeah. which probably yeah. isn't saying too much for myself. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know something about it. I just, yeah, You're not, not hot it. for me. Not hot. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sneak that one in on you. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's okay. fair. That's all really right. all we ask for is just to, to be fair. It's what you're gonna you get. Know? That's what we got. That's, that's how it is. Yeah. Are we gonna let Are we gonna let Keith pick the pick the music to end us out? Oh yeah. I think it's only fair. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, you guys are putting me on the spot big time, aren't you? It's your episode, man. We had a Kyle Davis episode. We had a Bonsu picked a song. Bobby Worley picked Smash Mouth for Christ's sake. You can't get any worse than that. <laughs> like you literally can't get worse than Smash Mouth. So. Oh, you gotta <laughs> keep that in there. Keep that oh, yeah. in there. <laughs> you can't get any Wait, worse did you, than Smash Mouth. Did you go to Daytona any year? Uh, yeah, I went a couple of times. Okay, so who was who was headlining Daytona in those years? Do you remember? Uh, nobody you've ever heard of. There was it's the only band I remember from Daytona was Duck Sauce, which was like some <laughs> some some guy that like one of the students knew or was dating or something like that. They didn't actually have concerts there. It was just like free beer and piss in the pool until everybody got a staph infection. I actually completely know who Duck Sauce is because when we were at Dayton, our anthem at all the big parties was Barbara Streisand. That was like our song. Oh yeah, no. that's completely, yeah. completely different. Uh, completely different person. No way. Completely different. You, band. You're telling yes, me there's absolutely. two bands named Duck Sauce? Yes. Unless I'm thinking of the name of the song, I'm pretty sure the band was called Duck Sauce. Well, Duck Sauce makes Barbara Streisand. I know that for a fact. Oh man. Yeah, that's that is that not was, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because that, that song was definitely was not around in 2004. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm just saying, guys. Like this, this was our jam right here. Keith, so, something. Give us a jam that that at Tim's you in know your what? college years. Oh, Jesus, Tim's. I've tried to block all those from my memories too. I, I know you want to say. Come I know up, you want to say "Escape" we'll... by Arinke Iglesias. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll go with this because I'm like a because I'm like a closet Whitney Houston fan. So go with. Uh, Go with some Whitney Houston. Go with so emotional. It was one of my favorites. Oh, that's great.
There you go. Rest in peace, Whitney. I miss you every day. That's right. Donnie, start us out. Show's over. Give us your final thoughts for the evening. This is this was a great trip down memory lane. I've told Keith many times. I mean, it, 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 he uh, like I said, in, uh, he graduated high school a year before me. But since he redshirted, we graduated at the same time. So these years at UD, when I was in school, th- those were years that I'm going to remember forever. And Keith, the, you, Ramad, Finn, three of my all time favorite players, and it's such an awesome thing to to relive these memories and when anytime i see at the arena you're always so nice to me too the fact that you remember me after all these years really means a lot so i do appreciate you coming on and uh uh, talk with me and sully for sure thanks man yeah absolutely uh you know i want to thank you guys too for having me on uh i love talking dayton basketball i'm i'm really happy that i get to do it as much as i do now um you know, being with you guys, uh, being on flyer feedback, calling games, doing it all. I, I enjoy being back around it, back around the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping for a big season this year. I think expectations are a little bit heightened and rightfully so. So hopefully we can go out and, uh, capitalize them and have another special year. And that's what we're all looking for. Uh, for me personally, Keith, uh, you know, like I said, I was uh, in my grade school years heading into high school watching all these Dayton teams. So it was just amazing to, to kind of hear some of those stories because I, I watched them a little bit from afar. You know, when you are a student, you get to see a little bit more up close. And and now we're, uh, we're knee deep in Dayton basketball. But um, it was, you know, great to hear some of those stories from the old days. Uh, as, as we record this on September 4th, and it will be released on September 5th. We are 65 days away from Dayton basketball season. And as I said, to start the cast, this is going to be our last offseason cast. The next time we come to you, we're going to be talking about the schedule for the season. I might even mix in a surprise with the A-10 commissioner interview, guys. I might. You're the first ones to hear it. This is breaking news <laughs> at the end of the podcast. So with that, we'll close things out with Key's request. So emotional by Whitney Houston. I thank everybody for the time. This is the longest cast we ever did. I hope you enjoyed it. You know that there's two rules, and if you don't buy now, they are wear red and be loud. I just do.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.